out of craziness, maybe out of heartache, maybe out of joy, but we're coming together as God's people to encourage one another, to love one another, and to worship our God and to hear from him this morning. And so I invite you to lift your voices as we praise him together.
you for the ways that you pull our lives from the pit every day in little ways in big ways we know that we can trust you and we praise you God fill us with a new sense this morning of your presence with us of your love for us and your desire to work in our lives to make us more like you Oh. 
As Will comes to read the scripture, let's remain standing for the gospel reading. Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew 5, verses 17 to 48. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it is said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. 
Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. And all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. I want to take just a minute to uh, introduce you to Will. Will is our intern this semester. He's a senior here at Houghton College, and we're excited to have him here. And I just asked him to share just a word of greeting to you. Hopefully you'll have a chance to interact with him uh, either on campus or here at the church over the course of the next few months. Yeah, well, like Pastor West said, uh, my name is Will, and I'm a senior at uh, the college here. So I'm really looking forward to the um, interning at the church this semester and to getting to know, hopefully, many of you. Um, I look forward to working with this amazing team. And uh, after the service, if uh, I get a chance, I'd really like to meet you guys. So thanks very much. Take a moment and uh, share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. Sure, it's nice to see you all here. Before Pastor West brings the word, I just want to explain the insert, make a little word explanation about that that's in your bulletin. Uh, last November, we had our first Sunday lunch where we were making an intentional effort to welcome college students and get better acquainted, uh, get more involved in your lives. Uh, we want to do that again next Sunday. Uh, those who can come and bring food especially, but not necessarily international food, gives you a chance to just say that you're coming. And as a college student, this also gives you a chance to say you're coming. You don't need to bring food. Of course, if you want to, that's fine. Uh, but you can rip that off and put it in the offering that comes around later. That just give us a head count for uh, some things we want to make sure we have to eat and enough chairs. So please uh, participate in this if you can. Everybody is welcome. Somebody asked, well, you're leaving out the academy students. 
We don't leave you out. We love you. And uh, if you want to do a little international cooking, bring it along. Join us. Uh, it's, we're all a, a family of God together, but we especially want to reach out a hand of welcome to the college students. God bless you. I want to thank uh, you for your, <clears throat> excuse me, for your prayers and cards and just acts of kindness uh, while I was going through my illness. I'm feeling much better and I uh, appreciate uh, your, uh, your support. And uh, I appreciate Pastor Paul and others who filled in last Sunday and days before and after that too. So it's great to have a, a wonderful church and team working together. I suspect that most of us struggle with the idea of obedience. It, it probably is a negative word for us. We tend to hear in the back of our minds, you have to obey. You have to do this. Our parents telling us, no, you can't do that. You have to do this. Or, or a, uh, maybe a professor or a boss or uh, someone in our life that has some authority over us telling us, this is what you have to do. And there is this natural inclination in us as human beings to, quite frankly, rebel against that. When we, when we hear rule, we tend to think exception. When we, when we make a commitment, we're always thinking about an escape clause. When we, um, we hear law, we tend to think loophole. I mean, that's what the whole IRS tax code is about, right? I mean, we're, they have to create all of these rules and all these laws because everyone keeps finding new loopholes. And so they have to keep trying to plug those loopholes, and it, that's why it takes, you know, professionals to fill out tax forms. Because we're trying to get away from paying as little as we possibly can. It's not a bad thing. It's just the human spirit to want to say, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want. But citizens of the kingdom of heaven are called to obedience. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we hear God, we hear Jesus, we hear the writers of Scripture say, obey God. That's what we do. The problem is we have a skewed view of what obedience to God means people of Israel centuries ago struggled with it. The people in Jesus' day struggle with it. We still struggle with it. And as Jesus begins this Sermon on the Mount, this, this sort of summary of all of what the kingdom is about, he speaks in the passage we read this morning, this lengthy passage about obedience. What does that look like for people who are citizens of the heavenly kingdom? There's a lot here. And as we're reading through that passage, I suspect there were questions going through your mind. What does that mean? What is that about? What, where are we going with that? And, and we don't really have time to talk about all of the questions that might arise because I want to give us a quick overview. But let me, let me walk us through these six examples that Jesus gives us about what it means, what obedience looks like for kingdom citizens. He starts by talking about murder. And he says, you've heard it said... You should not murder. I think most people would say, yeah, that's a bad thing. But Jesus says, it's not just about committing murder. It's about hating someone in your heart. It's about being so angry with someone that, quite frankly, there's a little bit of you that says, if I could and I'd get away with it, I might murder. That kind of bitterness is so dangerous, Jesus says. And obedience in the kingdom is not just about not murdering. It's about not hating, not being filled with bitterness, because that bitterness gets into us, it's like into our bloodstream, and it takes over our lives, and we don't end up just being angry and bitter toward that person who hurt us. We become angry, bitter people about everything, including God. He moves on to talk about adultery. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, and again, think people would say, yeah, that's a bad thing. And Jesus says, but it's not just, again, committing this act. It's about the want to in our hearts. He said, talks about how it is, it's citizens of the kingdom are thinking about not just not doing that, but also this idea of lusting after another person. 
The whole idea of lusting after another person is really rooted in objectifying people. We look at other people and think, how can that person gratify my desires? How can I manipulate that person? How can I use that person? How can I, how can I, see, I see that person as an object to be used so that I am gratified in whatever desires I may have? And again, just like anger and bitterness, that gets into our bloodstream, and it's not just about that particular lustful thought, that particular lusting that that builds in us and grows in us and overtakes us. It takes over everything about our lives. And we start seeing every single person in our lives as an object to be used and manipulated in order to get what we want. And we do that with God. We start thinking that God is not a loving being who connects to us. He is is an object that we can manipulate to get what we want. We live with this extreme self-centered mindset, and this perspective is so dangerous to us. He moves on to talk about divorce. This is probably the most controversial of all the things that he says here. It was a problem in Jesus' day. We all know it's a problem in our day. It was a problem back in the early days of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. They were having such a tr- such trouble with it, and rela- marriage relationships were in such difficulty, and people were being deeply hurt that God said to Moses, all right, I'm going to give people permission to divorce. And that was interpreted as, I can divorce anytime I want to. There were rabbis who taught People that, and of course, men had all the power. Only men could initiate divorce. Women couldn't initiate divorce at all. Women had virtually no rights. And and so there were men who, the rabbis who would say, whatever, anytime your wife doesn't please you in any way that you want, you have the right to divorce her. So it isn't just about sexual problems. It's if she burns your dinner, hey, divorce her. If she doesn't buy the right brand of celery, divorce her. If she doesn't do whatever you want her to do, if she's not pleasing you in every way you want her to, you have total freedom to kick her out. And they were teaching, God gives you the permission to do that. And Jesus says no. Because divorce is not something you take lightly. It is painful. And any one of us here who have family members who have been involved in circumstances that related to divorce understand the deep, deep, that it causes everyone. And while they are taking it lightly, Jesus is saying you can never take this kind of brokenness lightly. And Jesus is concerned not so much about the males, the husbands who have all the power to make all the decisions. He's saying in the kingdom, obedience is not just about, hey, I don't do this, but it's about it's about the wives and the children who are left to fend for themselves in a society in which they have no rights, they have very little opportunity to support themselves, and they, except for occupations that lead to even greater shame. Jesus is not saying you can never divorce. Jesus is not saying it is the ultimate sin. He's simply saying you need to take this seriously. to be a last resort. He moves on to oaths. He talks about how when you take an oath, and and of course, in that culture, uh, their big thing was, what did you place your oath on? So, you, oaths were, you, you, your word was good and your oath counted. If you took an oath, I swear on the city of Jerusalem, I swear on my head, I swear on the, the temple, And people would say, oh, okay, they're really serious about this. And Jesus says, stop doing that. Just stop taking oaths at all. Why do you need an oath? Because your word isn't reliable. When we were kids, you know, we'd say something to somebody, and they would say, I don't think I believe that. Are you sure? What we'd say, cross my heart, hope that I stick a needle in my eye. I don't know if you guys said that. That was our thing that we said, however grotesque that may be. And why did we say that? Because people didn't believe us. Why do we need oaths? Why do we need to say, I swear, I 
swear on my mother's grave. I swear on this. I swear on that. Why? Because our word isn't reliable. And Jesus says, citizens of the kingdom, simply say yes or no, and everyone understands whatever you say, that's what you'll do. You see, it's not just a matter of representing us. This is representing God and the kingdom. Because if our word as citizens of the kingdom isn't reliable, what does that say about God's word when we represent? What kind of message does that send to other people? And then he moves on to talk about retaliation. He references passage in the Old Testament. Now, some of the things that Jesus says here are not actually in the scriptures, as we'll see in a moment, but some of them are. And uh, he doesn't say the scripture says. He says, you've been taught or you've heard it said. And what he's, what he's really speaking against is how these things have been interpreted. And so he says here, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That takes us way back into the book of Exodus. As God is giving the law to the people, then their culture, if you put out my eye, I'll take your life. You knock out my tooth, I'll take out your eye. And the retaliation for actions done against each other just continued to escalate. And God said to the people of Israel, no, the most you can do is what was done to you. And he really, in many ways, you get the context of it. He's talking about a court of law where if someone is accused of, for instance, putting out someone's eye, then if they're found guilty, the only punishment, the most punishment they can take is do that to them. But people were escalating that. And so God says, no, that's the most you can do. And so now they were interpreting as God gives us the freedom to retaliate against other people. He only cares about how far we go with it. And Jesus says, no. Let's think not about retaliation. What about forgiveness? Let's put an end to this cycle of violence that is so prevalent in culture and society and ours just as much as theirs. Let's put an end to that. Let's stop it. Let's throw a wrench in that. Let's forgive. Citizens of the kingdom, forgive. That's what obedience looks like. We forgive. It's not just the, the, the fact that we can do up to a certain level, we just simply say, I'm not going to do that at all. And then he comes to the last one. He says, you've heard it said that you love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And that is actually not in the scriptures. It was a perception of the scriptures. And Jesus says, no, how about you just love everybody, particularly your enemy? He makes a statement. He says, look, the tax collectors who they despised and the pagans who they despised, even they love their neighbors. You're not doing anything special to love your neighbor. Anybody can do that. What sets you apart as citizens of the kingdom is that you love your enemies. You love the people who hate you. You love the people who reject you. You love the people who reject God. You love the people who have hurt you deeply. This is what citizens of the kingdom do. And so you take all of these examples that Jesus uses, and, and he's not saying that the behavior is, he's not minimizing the behavior. He's not saying that a, a, adultery and lust are the same thing. He's not saying that murder and, and hatred are the same thing. He's still, I mean, murder is still worse than hating someone. He's just simply saying obedience in the kingdom is not just the behavior that you don't do. It's what's going on in your heart. It's your attitude. It's your passion, your spirit. It's your want to. You know, so often we get wrapped up in making checklists. That's how we view obedience. We check off our list. Okay, I didn't commit murder. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't take an oath on the wrong thing. I, I, I'm divorced. I haven't done these things. I don't hate, you know. On and on we go with our list, and we say we're good. And Jesus is saying that, no, it's more than that. It's deeper than that. The kingdom of heaven has a higher bar than that. It's about being open to God. And however God leads you, that's what you want. It's not about what's the minimum amount I can do. There is absolutely nothing in the scripture where God ever says, okay, let's talk about the least you have to do. That's our thinking. God is always pushing us to more and more and more. 
Obedience is not, okay, God, what's the least I have to do and still be in the kingdom? Jesus says, no, that's what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law do. If you're a part of citizen of the kingdom, you have to exceed that. You've got to go past that. You can't settle for that. It's about being open to God and however he leads us. That's what we do. And openness to God is always going to take us in a direction that cares about people. When you start looking at checklists and rules, it, it objectifies every person. People become insignificant. The rule is what matters. And so you have Jesus with these discussions with the religious leaders about what you can do on the Sabbath. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And they get all upset about it because you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, don't you have any mercy in your heart at all for these crippled, broken, hurting people? Human beings weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for human beings. He's not, and he's not saying the Sabbath isn't important. He's just simply saying... The Sabbath was made as a time to love people and to help people and to think about God in our lives. And if you live in openness to God, you start valuing people and respecting people and caring for people as you see in every one of those six examples. We stop making decisions that only are about us. And we start thinking about obedience and how it relates to other people, just like Jesus does a much more difficult way to live because you don't have the same kind of checklist. You don't have the same kind of, of rules that you just say, okay, all I have to think about is the rule. No, you live in a spirit of openness to God that, that negotiates and navigates our lives however He wants us to. In whatever way He wants us to. So when Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it, what He's really saying is, this is what it looks like to live in obedience to God. This is what it looks like. He doesn't abolish the law as if what God told the Israelites was really a big mistake. And let's just pretend God never said that and let's start all over. He's saying to us, no, you just missed the whole point of the law that God gave Israel. And here I am to show you what it looks like. If you would have lived the law the way God intended, this is what you would be doing. This is what your life would be like. Openness to God, love, compassion, respect, value for other people. It keeps coming back to our heart, our passion, our want to. years ago, I saw the movie, The Breakup. Maybe some of you have seen it. It's really, quite frankly, it's a very depressing movie. It's one of those movies you're looking for the ending to move up, and it just keeps going down. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but it did have a scene in there that I thought was really interesting. Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn are the stars of this movie. They're a couple, and uh, they invite some friends over for dinner one night, and she spends a whole lot of time making this meal, and the friends leave, and she sees him through the door and closes it, locks it, comes back, and he's lying on the couch playing a video game. And she says, I'm going to do the dishes now. And he says, okay, great. She stands there, and she says, um, why don't you help me do the dishes? He says, oh, man, I'm, I'm really tired. I just want to sit here and just relax a little bit. And she says, come on, you can help me do the dishes. We can be done in 15 minutes. He goes, well, I don't mind helping you, but let's do it tomorrow morning. I just want to need to relax now. She says, I don't want to do it tomorrow morning. I don't want to wake up tomorrow morning and have these dishes in the sink. And he says, who cares what difference it make? And she says, I care. I don't want to wake up to that. And she keeps on him about, let's do the dishes. Come on, help me do the dishes. And finally, he throws down his controller and says, fine, I'll help you do the dishes. And she says to him, no, no, no. I don't want you to help me do the dishes. And he is so confused. He does not get it at all. He says, what are you talking about? You just said you want me to help you do the dishes. She says, no, no, no. I don't want you to help me do the dishes. I want you to want to help me do the dishes. That is a profound thing for her to say. 
And there is something about that and how we view obedience in the kingdom. It's not enough to say, okay, God, fine, I'll do what you want me to do. It is this heart, this spirit that is so open to God and desires so much of the spirit of God in us that we walk where he leads us. And we see people the way he sees them. And we think about life and people the way God thinks about life and people. And I think that's what Jesus is saying when he gets to the end of this. And he says, let me summarize everything I've just been telling you. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I cannot think of anything more discouraging that scripture says than that. Are you kidding me? And I think that's, we wrestle with that and people have wrestled with it through the centuries. Because we view perfect as never making a mistake. But the word that Jesus uses there doesn't mean never make a mistake. It it means to complete something you've started. It means to bring something to fulfillment. It it has a sense of wholeness about it. And, And what Jesus is saying is, just have, desire the mind of God. Have a, open your heart so to the Spirit that you want to look like your Father. You want, to, you want to, to see the way your Father sees. You want to think the way your Father thinks. You want to do what your Father does. It makes me think of, of the song that was popular when I was in college. This will date me a bit. Uh, it was by Amy Grant. And uh, she says, I may not be every mother's dream for her little girl. And my face may not grace the minds of everyone in the world, but that's all right. As long as I can have one wish, I pray. When people look inside my life, I want to hear them say, he's got his father's eyes. His father's think that's what Jesus is saying to us. You look like your father. In the spirit of obedience to God, do you, do you look like your father? And what we miss, I think so often, what I have missed, I'll just put it on me, is that when I see obedience as a burden, I have completely misunderstood God's purpose and plan. Because God is telling us, beginning to end, obedience is the pathway to blessing. Jesus begins the sermon by saying, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. And we often view that sort of as a section of it, and then we put it aside. But he's, I think he's saying, this is the catalyst for everything else that he talks about in this sermon. Probably everything else he does that we record in the Gospels. To live a blessed life is not, God, you've given me everything I want. I get to do whatever I want. I, I, I am the center of everything. No, to live a blessed life is to have the heart of Christ. And when I think about blessing, I think what he's really talking about in one sense is freedom. To be blessed, to live a blessed life, is to live a life of freedom. Free from all of the things, all the negative ways in which we try to live our lives in fear and anxiety and panic and, and, quite frankly, trying to prove to people how special we are and how wonderful we are. Trying to get people to on board with us and to manipulate people and to use people and to control people and to control our lives because we want people to know we are awesome. We have value and worth. And Jesus says, you have value and worth because you're a child of God. And to live our lives trying to convince everyone else of how special we are, quite frankly, it is exhausting. And it is a burden. And Jesus says, you don't have to live like that. You can be free. You can be free. You don't have to control your life. Let God control your life. Just follow him. You don't have to try to get people to, to, you don't have to try to manipulate people and convince people and, and use people. Just live in freedom and love and vulnerability. And is it hard? Yes, it's hard. But it's the pathway to blessing. 
because it keeps drawing us closer and closer to our Father. I don't know exactly where the place might be in your life where you're wrestling with obedience. Maybe you're wrestling with a checklist. Maybe you're wrestling with the passion and, and the, the desires in your hearts. Maybe you're wrestling with trying to, to convince people that you have value and worth. Wherever you may be wrestling, hear Jesus saying to you, be free. an openness to the Father. Have a heart of love and value and compassion for other people and be free. Heavenly Father, thank you for desiring us to live blessed lives. Know your freedom. Help us to trust you. Spend a few moments praying together. If you'd like to come use the altar rails, a place where you offer your prayers, please join us. Father, thank you for inviting us to come to you in prayer. Bring all the burdens, the concerns of our hearts to you. Today we pray for the needs that we represent. We pray for people who are grieving and ask for your comforting presence. We pray for people who are struggling with illness and pain. In the various forms it comes to us, brokenness. Bring healing into our lives and our hearts. We pray for our local institutions. Thank you for each of them. We pray your blessing upon them as they serve us and our wider world pray especially for other churches around us. And pray for the Riverside Assembly of God in Wellsville. Pastor Francisco, may your anointing rest upon this congregation and all who are involved in it, their service, their ministry. We pray, Father, for the work of your kingdom around the world, for Steve and Margie Doty. Thank you for their years of service with Wycliffe Bible Translators. As they continue to work to bring your word to more and more people, give them strength. Bless their partnerships and all that they do. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are facing great persecution and difficulties because of their faith in you. We think of Pastor Yang and uh, his recent conviction just because of his faith, his prison sentence. And we pray for the church that has grown significantly. We ask, Father, that you would, you would uh, commute his sentence through your grace and that the church would not suffer from this, but would actually grow through your spirit. We pray for refugees around the world, and we pray for those struggling from recent disasters and terrorist attacks and the pain and brokenness and violence of our world. We pray, Father, on this day when we remember how the sanctity of the human life, and we ask that you would give us hearts that care with compassion and grace and involvement in all the ways in which human beings are broken and hurt and struggling. And Father, we pray for our nation. On this inauguration weekend, we pray for President Trump and his staff. We know that this election has been very divisive in our nation, perhaps even in our church. 
Some are celebrating this weekend. Some are grieving. Father, help us to remember first and foremost that you alone are God, that you are our hope, that our lives are in you, and that we trust you. Whatever side we may be on, help us to commit ourselves to pray for our president, that his heart will be open to you, that he will lead in a way and, and work for policies in a way that give hope to the hopeless and help to the most vulnerable in our nation and in our world. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your grace and mercy upon us. We ask all of this in the name of, through the power of, our Lord, our Savior, the crucified, risen, and reappearing King, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. together walking in the spirit there's much to be Lord, I come, I 
Temptation comes my way. Because I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Because I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. <laughs> 